0: Today is the closing part of our series in Romans entitled, God's Righteousness, Great God, Wonderful Salvation. And as, as we've gone through Romans, I pray that it has shown you who God is and what he has done. God is a loving God, but he is also a righteous God who saved us from his wrath and out of his rich mercy and grace, he has justified us and made us righteous by faith in Christ, and this is the wonderful gift of God's salvation for us. And God calls us to live a life as a holy and pleasing sacrifice before Him, and God calls us to live in gratitude for Him, for His glory. Now, our passage for today is in Romans chapter 16, and we can divide this chapter into three parts. First, the greetings, then warning, and praise. Greetings, Warning, and Praise, and the title of our message today is Last But Not Least. Last but not least, chapter 16 contains Paul's final words to the church in Rome. Although these are Paul's last words, it is not of least importance, and we, you'll see why as we go along. So let's dig into our text. I invite you to open your Bibles with me and follow along. So the first, greetings. This section seems to be one of the least interesting part of the New Testament. Why? Because these are just long lists of names. These are long greetings from Paul. And these are names that even that's difficult to pronounce. And we don't know most of these people. But remember, in God's wisdom, he allowed this to be part of the scripture. And so it is still relevant for us today. Now, there are two examples that we can learn from Paul's greetings. There are two things that we can learn from this part of Romans. First is the example of Paul. On one hand, it reminds us that Paul is a real person who wrote to real people. In this chapter, Paul mentions 33 people in all and 26 out of those 33 are from the church in Rome. Now you may ask, how come Paul knew a lot of people? You've never been to Rome. How come Paul knew these people? What made it possible? Let me give you a background. In 49 AD, Emperor Claudius expelled the Jews from Rome, including all the Jewish Christians. And so they were forced to transfer to other cities. But then after five years, the decree was lifted. And so later, the Jews returned back to Rome. So it's possible that most of the people that Paul greeted were the ones he met during his missionary journey. And so this greeting reminds us again that Paul is a real person writing to real people. But more importantly, it also gives us a glimpse in the heart of the Apostle Paul. Yes, Paul was a brilliant theologian. He's a dedicated, determined missionary, driven to do God's work. And he is an excellent task-oriented person. Paul is focused on God's mission. But at the same time, this long greetings reveals a different side of the Apostle Paul. It reveals the heart of Paul for God's people. Paul was not just an excellent task-oriented person, but he is also a loving people-oriented person. And Paul did not only know them by names, Paul loved them deeply. Paul is an excellent task person, task-oriented person, but he is also a loving people person. Again, Paul knew these people, but he also loved them deeply. Look at these verses. Paul greeted certain people and called them his beloved or my dear friend. Look at these verses. Greet my beloved Epenetus, who's the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow working in Christ, and my beloved Stachos. And greet the beloved Persis, who work hard in the Lord. And this is even more heartwarming. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. As you can see, this section teaches us to learn from Paul's example, that is to balance being task-oriented and being people-oriented. How about you? Are you more of a task-oriented person or are you more of a people-oriented person? Paul shows us that by God's grace, we can be both. Personally, this is an area where I need to grow as well. Naturally, I'm a people person, but I tend to be more task-oriented and to be extreme when things get busy in ministry. As a pastor, this is my prayer, not only for myself, but for all of us, that as we serve the Lord together, that he will give us the strength and the endurance and the capacity to do the work before us. But at the same time, he will also give us the heart to compel, uh, to be compelled by his love, to love the people around us. And as we share our lives through our journey groups, through our life groups, fellowship groups, I pray that we would develop that deep relationship. And as we serve the Lord together, may we grow not only in our capacity in serving the ministry, but also grow in loving each other sincerely. And this is my heart for our church. And may God help us with that. May we be loving towards others as we do our best to serve the Lord. Secondly, this greeting section teaches us to learn from the church in Rome in terms of their life back then. We may not know all the 26 individuals that Paul mentioned here, but one thing is clear. The church in Rome is a spiritually diverse family, spiritual family that is very diverse. And here's something beautiful that we can learn from this church. The Christians in Rome worship and serve God together, regardless of their gender, race and social class. They worship and serve the Lord together, regardless of their gender, class or race. So let's look at this verses, there are different genders. Out of the 26 people that Paul greeted, eight were women. In fact, the first person that Paul greeted was a woman named Phoebe. Look at these verses. Paul named Phoebe, then Priscilla, Mary, Junia, Tryphena, Tryphosa. Most likely these two are sisters or even twins. Then there's Persis. Then there's also the unnamed mother of Rufus. And then there's Paul also greeted Julia, and the sister of Nereus. Now, why is this significant? You see, back then in ancient Rome, men and women have no equality. Women have no status in the family and society. They were not allowed to vote or even hold public office. Very few women were educated at all. You see, only men had the legal rights over children, and women were considered property of their husbands. Only the wealthy women enjoy a certain degree of freedom. Again, the point is there's no equality between men and women back then. But here in Romans 16, Paul valued and honored women when he greeted them. And not only that, Paul also commended them for their hard work, for their dedication and faithfulness in the ministry. And so this passage shows us that women are a significant part of the life of the church and a significant part of ministry. Look again at verse 1. It says, I commend to you, our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Sancrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. The church in Sancrea was probably a church plant by, Cor- by the Corinthian church, and Phoebe is one of its deaconess. The word deacon means servant. And what's the role of the deacon? The deacons... Uh, support the elders and the pastors in doing ministry, but they focus more on the administrative and the logistical side of ministry. And how else Paul described Phoebe? Note this, Paul said she was a benefactor who helped many people. This means Phoebe is a wealthy business person who used her money and influence to support various causes and help spread the gospel. And apparently Phoebe became one of Paul's missionary supporters. Now, Paul commended Phoebe to the church in Rome, probably because she was the one who brought this letter to the church in Rome on her way to a business trip towards there. And so everything that Paul shows here tells us that Phoebe is a faithful and trustworthy servant of the Lord. Again, the point is women are significant part of Paul's ministry or the church ministry back then. And also, Paul commended other women for their hard work. Look at these verses. It says, Greet Mary Work very hard for you. Greet Tryphena, Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. At the same time, Paul also commended two husbands along with their wives. Look at these verses. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They risked their lives not only for me, but not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. You see, Priscilla and Aquila were a husband and wife ministry team. They were mentioned six times in the four different books in the New Testament. And they were Jews like Paul. They were also a great blessing to the gentle church. How? Paul said that they risked their lives for him and for the gospel. And so we could say that they are the New Testament model, our primary model of serving the Lord as a husband and wife team. Now, verse 7 also tells us another couple. Great Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who had been in prison with me, they are among the apostles, they are outstanding, and they were in Christ before I was. This couple became Christians even before Paul, and know that Paul said they were outstanding among the apostles, and so Andronicus and his wife Junia were considered apostles. Now, please don't get confused. The word apostle here is not the capital A apostle like the Apostle Paul or the twelve apostles of Jesus Christ. Andronicus and Junia were the small A apostles. They were apostles, which means, the word means to be sent as a messenger or missionary. Just like Barnabas that was sent as a missionary to the church in Antioch. So, Andronicus and Junia were a husband and wife missionary team. They were Consider outstanding among the apostles." So as you can see, women play an active and influential role in the ministry of the early church. They were active in missions, in serving. And this is what God wants for us to do as well. So just imagine our church. Imagine if our church are being run only by men. Would it be a, uh, an effective church? Would it be a uh, God-glorifying church? Not necessarily because we are not allowing women to play their role, to exercise their gifts in order to build God's church. You see, God designed our church so that men and women can share their gift and serve one another and build up Christ's church and reflect his glory. Now, here's the point. Both of us, again, men and women, we play significant roles. Yes, we may have different function, but God calls us as essential part of building his church. And that is the same for us today. Again, may we be willing to share our lives, to exercise our gifts, regardless of our gender, to serve God actively. And God calls us to contribute in building up the body of Christ. So may the Lord help us. Secondly, the church in Rome worship and serve the Lord together, regardless of their race and background. They have different race and background, but the people served together. The church in Rome were composed of both Jews and Gentiles. And look at these verses. Verse three, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ. They are Jews whom Paul met in Corinth. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews. And also Herodian, Herodian was also a Jew. Now look at this other verses. These are the Gentile Christians. I commend to you, Phoebe, Ampliatus. So there's Phoebe, Ampliatus, Urbanus, Istakus, and Apelles. All these are Greco-Roman names. Again, the point is the Roman church were composed of both Jews and Gentile Christians. They were people who came from different backgrounds and different cultures, but they worshiped God together and they served the Lord together. I love how the church pastoral team reflects this kind of diversity. Our senior pastor is a Cantonese. He's from Hong Kong. We also have Chinese pastors. We have pastors of Chinese backgrounds. We also have pastors of Filipino backgrounds. And we also have pastors who are mixed of both. But even though we have different cultures and backgrounds, we are one in Christ and we come together to serve Him because we are one in the Lord, despite the differences in our cultures and backgrounds. So dear brothers and sisters, there should be no room for discrimination in our church. God calls us to be one in Christ. Whether you're a Chinese, a Filipino, an American, a Japanese, a Canadian, or whatever your citizenship is, whatever your background is, God calls us to be one in Christ and we belong to one body. So may the Lord help us. Third, the church in Rome worship and serve the Lord together, regardless of their social class and status. Look at these verses. Verse 8, Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Ampliatus was a common name for slaves during Paul's time. Philologos and Julia were common names for slaves who worked for wealthy families. There are those who belong to the household of Aristobulus and those who belong to the household of Narcissus. And who are these unnamed people? Most likely, they are also slaves. In verse 14, there's Asyncretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas Hermas, and other brothers and sisters with them. Scholars say that these people were most likely slaves as well. You see, Rome is a city full of slaves. During the early parts of the Roman Empire, it was estimated that at least or about a third of the people in Rome were slaves. And most of the slaves were foreigners. They were prisoners of war. And Now, the slaves during the time of the New Testament is different from the hard helpers that we have today. Back then, if you're a slave, you were treated like a tool and you were considered a property of your owner. You could be bought and sold like animals. You have no legal rights. Your master could kill you at will anytime and he could do whatever he wants with you. You have no rights. Now the slaves back then is the lowest class in society. And we can say that they are the class DNE people during Paul's time. Now the church also has the rich and powerful people. These are the class AB people. Look at, pe- look at these verses and names here. There's Phoebe as mentioned in verse one. She's a rich uh, benefactor who helped Paul. Another influential person is Herodion. He's related to the Herod family given his name. And down in verse 23, there's also a prominent person named Erastus, the city treasurer. Erastus is a Roman government official who has a lot of political influence. And there were also middle-class people in Rome. We can call them Class C. There's Priscilla and Aquila. They were tent makers like Paul. They were business people. There's also a group of people that meets in their house. Verse five tells us that Priscilla and Aquila used their home to host one of the house churches back then. And there are actually four house churches mentioned here in chapter 16. That's in verse 5, 10, 11, 14, and 15. In post days, Christians do not have large buildings where they can gather just like we have today. So the early Christians used their houses as a meeting place for Bible study, for prayer, for worship. And these house churches are family-sized small groups. But even though they meet in different places together, they belong, and they made up the church in Rome. As you can see, the church in Rome have different social class of people. There's rich and poor, educated and uneducated, slave and free, ordinary and influential. From the lowest rank of society to the highest, the church in Rome was incredibly diverse community of people. There's men and women, young and old, Jews and Gentiles, slave and free. And this is the beautiful picture of the Roman church back then. And now how did it happen? How did such diverse people coexist? What made it possible for them to serve God and to do it lovingly and to worship God together? There's only one reason, their relationship with Christ. The only reason is they are one in Christ, being in Christ. And that's the miracle only made possible by the gospel. And that is what Paul highlighted 10 times in this section. Paul said, being in Christ, in the Lord, being in Jesus Christ. Dear church, we are a diverse family like the church in Rome. But just like in Paul's time, we could also easily be divided. We have so much things to be divided about our race, skin color, gender, political views, educational background, and many more things. But the only thing that will enable us to be united, to stand together and love each other, is that all of us are in Christ. The gospel is the only thing that unites us to serve and worship God together. We are one in the Lord, and we have been saved from God's wrath because of what Christ has done for us. So may the Lord help us. Last November 19, we had our year-end thanksgiving and appreciation for our leaders. And we praise God that for this year, we have a total of 275 leaders and volunteers who serve in various ministries and capacities within our church. So praise God for that. Again, thank you, dear co-workers. I'm grateful that in our church, there are men and women like you who love the Lord and who love his people. We come from different backgrounds, different cultures, different class, but we come together as one in Christ and we serve and worship the Lord together. And that is a beautiful gift that God has given us. Thank you for your hard work, your dedication, your love and sacrifice. Thank you for your love, your sweat and tears. Thank you for all your hard work. God has blessed our CBCP family through you. And may you continue to work and serve the Lord, love him and love his people. And may the Lord establish the work of your hands. And I pray that God would help us to continue to live together in unity and guide us and to stand against uh, disunity or discrimination. So may the Lord help us. Now let's go to the next section. We go to the warning, verses 16 to 20. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. After Paul personally expresses love for the Christians in Rome, he issues one final warning to them. He said, watch out, keep away from certain people. Watch out, keep away from certain people. This command is a sharp contrast compared to the previous verse that Paul just said. Look at verse 16. Paul said, Greet one another with a holy kiss. Greet one another with a holy kiss. See, Paul did not just tell them, greet one another. Instead, he said, greet one another with a holy kiss. And Paul used also the same commands in his other letter. And at the same time, Peter commands as well. In 1 Peter 5.14, he said, Greet one another with a kiss of love. See, the kiss is a popular custom in the first century, even the time of Jesus. Of course, there are many kinds of kisses, but that is why Paul used the term holy kiss. It is an expression of family devotion and affection, a familial love with fellow believers and Christians. And this is very important, especially precious for those who are new in their faith. Because back then in the early church, many people who became Christians were outcasts by their family, they were rejected by their family. And so their, their new family is now the Christian church. And so having this holy kiss is very important and significant. Also the Jews and Gentiles, when they express this holy kiss with each other, they are saying, I accept you despite your background, despite our differences. And this is very important. And today we also do the similar thing. We do beso beso or hug. But I know given the pandemic, a lot of us may feel uncomfortable doing that. But the point is God commands us to warmly express our love and care for one another and in physical ways. Now again, the point is Paul commands his reader to greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul commanded the church to greet one another with a holy kiss. That's in verse 16. But then in verse 17, Paul says, but don't go kissing everyone. Be discerning and selective. Watch out and keep your eyes open. Keep away from certain people. Why? Because they would cause division in the church and they would ruin you. In other words, keep away and watch out for these church dividers, these church wreckers. And what are the clues that we can have to identify these kinds of people? Paul gives these certain clues. First, Paul said, they teach what is opposed to God's word. Verse 17, watch out for these people who cause divisions and upsets people's faith by teaching things contrary to what has been thought. Stay away from them. Please note that here in verse 17, the issue is about theological truths. We are not talking about disputable matters as what we have discussed in Romans chapter 14. Instead, the issue here is about foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. It's about the core essentials of the gospel. Paul warns the church that there will be people inside the church who would deliberately teach things that oppose or against the scripture. They would teach what are lies and that are clearly against the teachings of the Bible. And these false teachers are will be stubborn. They will be unrepentant, even if you correct them, and they will be divisive. And so Paul counsels the Roman church how to treat this kind of people. He said, avoid them, stay away from them. Don't give them the impression that all things are well. Don't hang out with them as if there's no problem. Now think about it. Is it difficult? Of course, it's difficult because we live in a postmodern culture and people expect that we should be tolerant and that we should affirm people regardless of their beliefs. But Paul said, no, avoid them and stay away from them. Now, is Paul being loving? Is Paul being arrogant here? No. Paul shows us that there are times that to maintain unity, sometimes there must be disunity and we, we need to stand firm for the truth of God. We need to stand firm. For the truth of the scripture. We need to watch out. We need to be aware of this kind of people. Now, here's the second way to recognize them. Their aim is to serve themselves and not Christ. That's verse 18. For such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Here, Paul's exposed the true characters of these church wreckers and false teachers. First, they, they serve themselves, their selfish motives, and their motive is not to glorify Christ. Their motive, their goal is to advance their own personal agenda. Their motive is to attract people, to themselves, to enrich their pocket. And they aim to please themselves and not to please the Lord. And what makes it more difficult? Verse 18 tells us, They are eloquent and flattering. By their smooth talk, they deceive the minds of the naive. By their flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive people. Did you hear that? These people are good with words. They're smooth talkers. They are eloquent and convincing. And when you listen to them, you would say, wow, they are very good. They're very knowledgeable. They are very impressive. And that is why these false teachers are difficult and hard to recognize. Now, please don't misunderstand. It's not wrong to be eloquent. It's not wrong to be a proficient speaker, but Paul reminds us that we need to test people, especially teachers, by the content of their message instead of their communication skills. Again, test them by their content and not by their communication skills. Measure what they say against the truth of the scriptures. Always test them, test the spirits, the Bible tells us. Why? Because these people, these false teachers, their aim is to deceive the minds of the naive ones. No wonder Paul said avoid them watch out for them avoid them Now please note Paul did not say oppose them or engage them in a debate Paul did not say that Paul said avoid them as if avoid them as if you're avoiding a virus that they can be easily contaminated that is what Paul is saying here avoid them because if you engage these false teachers if you listen to them Frequently, you could be easily swayed by their eloquence, especially if you are not well-equipped and especially if you are naive. Note, it's the church leaders who have the responsibility to deal with these false teachers. And generally, Paul is saying that as a church, we should avoid this kind of people. So the other day, I was try- I was browsing through the internet and tried to type in the names, uh, false teachers, and then I came across with this uh, um site and it, it listed around 40 names of false teachers. And then when I browse through that, I found out around five to ten people that are very familiar and very famous. And if I would tell them to you, you would easily recognize them. And so the warning here is there are a lot of false teachers that is uh, coming up today and we need to be careful. We need to be discerning. Again, this This is a warning that we should heed and we should take this seriously. You see, we live in an age where we can quickly access internet and listen to various messages, not just from our church, but also from other churches, local and abroad. And that is the blessing of technology. Through technology, we can also benefit from the greater body of Christ because there are other good teachers and pastors that we should listen to as well. It's okay for us to listen to other Christian teachers and preachers. I also do that, and I benefit from that. But we need to remember that we need to be careful. As Paul warned us, not all inspiring teachers are biblical teachers. Not all good communicators teach us biblical truth. So we need to choose well. Don't be deceived by their good looks. Don't be deceived by their eloquence or by their impressive words. Don't be deceived by their nice dress or their beautiful smiles. We need to test these teachers. We need to know the truth and test their content. Let's be discerning. I remember one pastor told me the, a very sad story because there is one teacher or there's a, one church who eventually moved towards the hyper grace movement and they focused so much on grace, but they neglected the teachings of the scripture about the need to obey. And sadly, they used God's grace and twisted it as a form of license to sin. I've heard that one specific church, their young people, they started to engage in premarital sex. That's a sad reality. But then the, their reason is it's okay because uh, God can forgive them. They only focus on grace, but they don't focus on obedience and holiness. That's one of the dangers of false teachings. There are other churches also who move towards prosperity gospel, and they focus on success and what they teach is God wants you to succeed, God wants you to to be well, God doesn't want you to suffer and then they neglect the other parts of scriptures that about the reality of suffering, about the reality of endurance and they just focus on those things in the carnal things of this world, about success, money, fame and being effortless in in experiencing the Christian life but we need to be careful about these false teachings. Your brothers and sisters, may God help us to discern and be aware of this trap. Now, what's another reason why the church in Rome should be discerning? Verse 19 tells us, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. Paul commanded the Christians in Rome because of their obedience. They have a very good reputation. And even people outside the church heard their testimony. Even Paul, who has never been to Rome, heard about the testimony of this church. They are obedient. And that is why Paul rejoices. But also, Paul warned them because of their obedience and their faithfulness, they have now become a target. It says, watch out for these false teachers because For your obedience, the word for is an explanation of why they need to watch out because they are now a target. Satan and the false teachers will now target to destroy them. Dear church, this is the reality of our Christian life. The more faithful and obedient you are, the more Satan wants to destroy you and ruin you. The Bible says Satan is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And so we need to watch out and we need to be alert and discerning. How? Verse 19 tells us, Paul gives this command so that we won't be easily deceived. I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Paul's advice is both positive and negative. Be wise about what is good, that's the positive side. One translation says, be experts in doing good. And on the negative side, Paul says, be innocent about evil. The term innocent here means untainted or unmixed. It's like untainted milk that is free from impurities. And here is what is Paul is saying to counter the false teachers. Be innocent, but not ignorant. Be innocent, but not ignorant. Discern what is right from wrong. Discern what is good from evil. Discern what is truth and error. And how do we do that? Well, we need to go back to basics. We need to go back to God's word. Let us read God's word daily. Study it and memorize it. Know what you believe and understand why you believe, why you have your faith. And don't be satisfied having minimal knowledge of the Bible. We need to be firmly grounded. And as the apostle Peter tells us, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus grow, not only in the grace, but also in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Year 2022 is about to end, and I'm sure. Um, maybe some of you are not yet finished with your Bible reading plan for the year. And perhaps because you're busy or of you missed a lot during the past few weeks or past few months. But don't worry, we will have a new opportunity for 2023. So I encourage you starting next year, do your best to plan and follow your Bible reading plan. You may also follow our Um, Project Ezra Bible reading plan, and let's do our best together as one church to stand firm on God's truth, to know more about Christ, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ as we read together, as we study, as we memorize God's word, as we implant it in our heart and obey the Lord for his glory. Now, Paul then continued his encouragement with this promise of victory in verse 20. He said, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet and the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Why did Paul suddenly bring up Satan? You see, false teachers and divisive people come from Satan himself. They are doing Satan's work, whether they realize it or not. And Paul reminds us that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. This statement reminds us that the peace that God intends to establish involves ultimate victory against Satan and his evil minions. God will finally crush Satan. And this statement is actually an echo of Genesis 3.15. After the serpent tempted Adam and Eve back in the Garden of Eden, God pronounces judgment to the serpent. God prophesied that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, which is Satan. And this prophecy was partially fulfilled already when Christ came. Satan was already defeated at the cross. And you know what? We also defeat Satan each time we embrace God's truth over Satan's lies. And we defeat Satan every time we worship God together in faith and in unity. Again, the point is we are, this is the hope that we can look forward to, that God will finally crush Satan. And the great comfort is Satan's ultimate doom will be at hand. It's already at hand and it will finally happen. Now here is our great comfort. Satan's ultimate doom will finally happen when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. And so for now, here is our responsibility. Watch out and stay away. Avoid those who divide the church. Avoid those who wreck God's church. God calls us to be wise, to be innocent, but not ignorant. May the Lord help us. Finally, praise verse 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that come from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul closes his letter by looking back at chapter 1 in reviewing some of the themes he mentioned. Look at this chart and compare some of the words and phrases here. Chapter 16, Paul said, To establish you, which, is, which corresponds to chapter 1, to make you strong. My gospel, then the gospel of God, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, uh, the gospel regarding his son, then the mystery hidden for long ages past, then the gospel he promised beforehand. Through prophetic writings in verse 26 and then Chapter 1, verse 2, through the prophets in the Holy Scripture, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith and to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And what was Paul's aim in doing this? The opening chapter 1 and the closing section, chapter 16, serves as a beautiful frame that rounds up the whole letter of Romans. And Paul used this closing section also to review the gospel. Here is what Paul is saying. He reviewed the security of the gospel. It is God who is the one who established you. He is the one who kept you secure eternally. And there's also the subject of the gospel, the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, the preaching of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gospel and the gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is not just a message, but it is a person. It is not about what, but it is about who. Jesus Christ is the center of the gospel. And third, there's the spread of the gospel according to the revelation of the mystery hidden long ages, but now revealed and made known. That's the spread of the gospel. The mystery was hidden before, but it is now revealed through Jesus Christ. And what is that mystery? The mystery is how can a sinful man and a holy God be reconciled. That's the mystery. And then another mystery encompasses the reality is, how can the Jews and the Gentiles be joined together? That's the mystery of the gospel now revealed. And then there's also the scope of the gospel to all the Gentiles. The word Gentiles here is also the word nations, ethnic groups. The gospel is for everyone whatever your background is whatever your religion is the gospel is for you and me and god aims for the gospel to reach all the nations and the strength of the gospel it is leading to the obedience that comes from faith You see, the gospel is not just about paperwork in heaven. The gospel is not just about erasing our sins. The gospel dramatically and radically changes and transforms us from the inside out. And the genuine encounter with God would lead us to obedience that comes from faith. That is the ultimate goal of the gospel so that we can be like Christ. We can honor God and follow him and live our lives as living sacrifice for him for his glory and these are the reasons that Paul enumerated about the gospel and so Paul did this to move his readers and us ultimately to give glory to God again Paul said now to him who is able to establish you to the only wise God glory forever through Jesus Christ amen why is God worthy of our praise again Paul says now to him who is able the word able here is the same word dunamis which means power. It's just the verb form of dunamis and this Greek form is uh, the word dunamai. Now to him who is able, now God is the one who is powerful, so powerful to establish you in the gospel. God is the almighty God who gives us salvation in Christ. God is the one who made us righteous by his mercy through faith. God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were God's enemies, Christ died reconciled us through the death of his son and we received god's spirit who caused us to call out to him and cry out abba father and the spirit himself testifies that we are now god's children and god did all of this to express his righteous love and his mercy that is the grace of our lord jesus christ that is the grace of our almighty god And finally, God is the all wise God. He is the God who made a way for a sinful man and a holy God to be reconciled and come together. He is the God who displayed his eternal wisdom by saving both Jews and Gentiles and uniting all of us in Christ. And God did all these things for the glory and honor of his name and for our good. And so dear church, as we review this truth in Romans, as we've learned all these beautiful passages and the truth of God's word, of God's love, of God's mercy and God's grace. May all of us come to our knees and see who he is and what he has done and declare and proclaim that he is the almighty God, the all knowing God, the all wise God, the all powerful God who deserves all our glory and praise because of his mercy and goodness that he has shown us through Jesus Christ. May we bow our heads, may we bend our knees, may we lift our hands to honor God, the almighty God, the all wise God, who is worthy to be praised. For he is our great God, who has given us his wonderful salvation. Let us pray. Lord, how great you are. How great are your riches, wisdom and knowledge. How unsearchable are your ways and your judgment. There is none like you. Lord, how can sinful humans like us and you, a holy God, be reconciled? It's only you by your power, only you made it possible by your great love, your eternal wisdom. Nothing compares to you. Thank you, Father, that through your righteous love, you have given us this wonderful gift of salvation. While we were still sinners, you demonstrated your love for us. While we were your enemies, you have reconciled us through the death of your son, Jesus Christ. And the only thing that we have brought to you are our sins and our our unworthiness. Thank you so much, Father. We have done nothing that deserves your love. Only you did it alone, out of your grace and mercy. Thank you, Father, for calling us your people and adopting us into your family. Thank you, Lord, that through Christ that we can experience... The assurance that nothing can separate us, can ever separate us from your love. Nothing can separate us, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons. Neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Nothing can separate us from your love. Father, thank you for teaching us your word and revealing your heart through the book of Romans. Help us to live a life that is not ashamed of the gospel. Help us not to be ashamed of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we follow you and live out the mission that you have called us to do, give us the strength so that we can be faithful to do the task. O oh Lord, compel us with your love. Give us a heart that love others genuinely. And as we face our trials and temptations, protect us and help us to overcome. As we deal with our difficulties and challenges, assure us, O oh Lord, of your loving presence. Father, we pray in everything that we do, enable us to offer our lives to you as living sacrifices. As one church family, empower us with your spirit to watch out for those who would be divisive. Give us discerning hearts, discerning minds. Help us to stand for the truth. Help us to pursue love, faith, and unity for the honor and glory of your name. Thank you, O Lord. Now receive this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. God bless you all. See you again next time.